they bought it. Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career, and they never doubted it for a second. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? This is my ninth sick day this semester. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. If I go for 10, I'm probably gonna have to barf up a lung. So I better make this one count. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a dead lock, but uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. That's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I do have a test today. That wasn't bullshit. It's on European socialism. I mean, really, what's the point? I'm not European. I don't plan on being European. So who gives a crap if they're socialists? They could be fascist anarchists. It still wouldn't change the fact that I don't own a car. I recall Central Park in fall. How you tore your dress. What a mess, I confess. It's not that I condone fascism. Or any ism, for that matter. Isms, in my opinion, are not good. A person should not believe in an ism. He should believe in himself. I quote John Lennon, I don't believe in Beatles, I just believe in me. A good point there. After all, he was the walrus. I could be the walrus. I'd still have to bum riots off of people. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 222, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We return to Shermer High again. Again. This is probably, what, take 12, take 13 after the other day? Always just so discouraging to get like a (laughs) half hour, 40 minutes of material down and, and it's know. just not working and that i didn't listen to that stuff we recorded but i feel like it was messed up I, I think so i think you probably would have found chunks where like it was just gone mid-sentence yeah i'm sure we're really enthralling people with this but well we yeah. gotta come up with stuff to talk about because <laughs> i'm not saying the same things again right 
So here we are. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Spring is here. I feel like this is a great spring movie. Totally. First warm day of the year. One of the classic John Hughes 1980s films. But before we jump into it, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, various podcasting apps that we show up on without us even having to do anything somehow. We can't list what those are, but they're out there. We just know that we're on random things sometimes. That's right. Very weird. And if you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter and follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. And I think we're ready to roll. We're basically chomping at the bit at this point because we've had so many starts and stops and a lot of takes a lot of blue balls going on with this ferris bueller app yeah let's be honest i mean we're gonna try to do our best it sort of took some of the spring from our step you want to get in a rhythm you can't get in a rhythm you finally get in a rhythm you got to pull it back we had some pretty good stuff probably recorded it was gold it was gonna be an a plus episode (laughs) i was feeling okay yeah it's just gone forever. Now we have to pretend like we're saying this stuff for the first time. Yeah. I- I'm not going back, though. I had some some stories. I was tying things back to things from the 90s. This is, we're, we're going with all new material now. Oh, no. It's the B material, but it's... <laughs> if the A material was just that, <laughs> I don't even want to know. Yeah. All right. So, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986, written and directed by John Hughes... Let's run down that John Hughes filmography as a director. Yeah, which... Director only. It's important because his name gets thrown out there with a lot of stuff. You know, he gets associated with Home Alone and... Yeah, a few of the movies that he just wrote are sort of a part of that whole Hughes-niverse. Yeah, yeah. And it's fine. I get it. It has his stamp all over it, especially like Pretty in Pink or something like that. Oh, totally. Most people probably just assume that he directed it. But these are the ones he actually directed. 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. A couple of real duds in there, but totally, definitely. it's actually like a pretty strong list when right out of the gate you're directing 16 Candles. Yeah. A movie that now, of course, doesn't necessarily hold up that well, but if we're going to talk about the Hughes movies that hold up the best. I would put Ferris Bueller right up there. Definitely. I I feel like it's the coolest one. It's the ultimate teen fantasy. I think that kids are always going to relate to that. uh, Breakfast Club definitely has a little bit more grit to it. Maybe a little bit more realism. But I I don't know. This is just such a fun watch. Yeah, I think The Breakfast Club is probably the most important of that group in some ways because it changed the conversation around teenagers in movies. Yeah. It took teenage topics and treated them seriously in a way that was very appealing. Well, that is the fun thing about Hughes is he does recognize that there are stories about kids that are fun. (laughs) Or important. Yeah. After Ferris Bueller, he transitions into more adult-based movies and then kids' movies throughout the 90s as far as, like, what he was writing. Obviously... Curly Sue came out in like 1991, so he did not direct another film after that. Yeah. But you look at Home Alone, Beethoven, Dutch, things that he wrote, and it's not really as serious feeling as some of the other stuff. 
like we said, with Breakfast Club, maybe 16 Candles a little bit, there's a little bit of darkness there, but this is really just fun, optimistic. There's some darkness with Cameron. I mean, obviously depression very much on display. Yes. I, I guess a, a, a symptom of being a, an 80s kid was if you were depressed, it was definitely because of your parents. Yeah, and I think the messaging, though, in the movie is to overcome that by believing in yourself, by appreciating life. That's right. Don't let life pass you by, I think, is the message you're supposed to Yeah, and that's overruling the depression. In other words, Ferris has, like, the power to help his friend. So yeah. It does leave you with, like, a positive feeling overall. This is not my 80s. Like, my 80s version of this is... Like, Less than zero. Yeah, everything that happens in this movie is just a montage in the first five minutes. And then Ferris goes off to college comes back for Thanksgiving break. Sloan and Cameron had some relationship. Everything's all weird. Cameron is giving blowjobs to right. businessmen for heroin. <laughs> yeah, I think there was definitely a delineation between the John Hughes 80s and the Brady Sinellis 80s. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jeannie is just hooked on diet pills, weighs like... 88 pounds it's like real dark (laughs) ferris bueller's day off stars matthew broderick alan ruck mia sarah jeffrey jones matt's favorite actor that's right and jennifer gray took only six days to write and it essentially became hughes's love letter to the city of chicago and the surrounding areas yeah it does stand out how much unnecessary shots of the chicago skyline there is it's like all over the city I mean, even the places they're going aren't really progressing the plot through most of the movie. You're just kind of like, oh, here's the tallest building in Chicago. Here's a museum in Chicago. Well, I think that also plays in with what Hughes liked to do with his scripts, which was not be super concerned with the plot and believe in the power of the characters to convey the story. Definitely. And I think that's definitely on display in Ferris Bueller as well as The Breakfast Club. I think he sort of failed at it in She's Having a Baby, which is kind of a terrible movie in my opinion. Okay, haven't seen it, but believe it. And then sometimes you just have that cult of personality with John Candy and Uncle Buck, <laughs> which we did on this show, and yeah, I yeah. had a great time talking about it. That's right. Although you were right. I mean, in we we did talk about this on the episode that will never get released. And Uncle Buck, it is just like so feeling like, a bunch of scenes just shoved together. Yes. But this and all of the Hughes movies, you do just jump from scene to scene. It's always a little bit jutted. Yeah. I think you can view this movie as more of a aspirational fantasy rather than anything grounded in reality. So that probably plays into it because there's no way you could do everything that these characters do in one day. For sure. Absolutely. There's just not enough time. The traffic alone. Parade traffic. Yeah, right. (laughs) All kinds of obstacles in their way. By the time they get Sloan, it feels like hours have passed. I know. It seems like they would be approaching lunchtime by the time they get her. (laughs) And I I have driven through Chicago multiple times. Never quick. Right. Hours spent. The budget was five million. The box office ended up being seventy point seven. Which yeah, that's it's probably par for the course for Hughes movies. Quick, fast, profitable. That's right. It's sort of like horror movies, really. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of kills, you get like 
Smith songs underneath a scene with people looking angsty. Not a emotions. ton of time <laughs> spent on the script. I think the general legacy of this film increases in terms of positivity every year. I think people look back on it more fondly all the time. It's very wholesome in a way and sure. sweet. And it highlights sort of the best experiences possible of high school while minimizing any of the downsides or the negative aspects of high school while also being drug-free, alcohol-free, and pretty sex-free, too. Not that those are bad things, but you know what I mean? It, it, It appeals to everybody in that sense where it's not like, oh, let's... The whole go behind the Seven Eleven to get loaded. The whole catatonic Cameron peeping on Sloan—that's <laughs> as sexual as it gets. Yeah, yeah. Which is mostly just a joke. Okay, right. <laughs> the logistics of that, I still don't quite understand. I, th- what th- part would... was she completely naked? Because wasn't that like her underwear? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what was going on. Yeah. Well, she just had to get changed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hughes wrote the script with Broderick in mind. He originally offered Cameron to Anthony Michael Hall, who was sort of a Hughes avatar, I think. And Hall turned it down. He's like, I've had enough of this bullshit. I Basically, need to be on the yeah. dead zone. Yeah, and I think it's not unlike today when kids want to break out of the Disney mold that they're in and they yeah. want to do like adult roles. I think Anthony Michael Hall, Molly Ringwald, etc., They had been in a lot of Hughes movies. They had already played high schoolers probably for about six years. They were probably well into their 20s, and it was just time to move on. But as has been described by many sources and I think hinted at by a lot of actors who worked with Hughes, he did have a petty, vindictive side. And when people turned him down, he never worked with them again. He was oddly jealous of things and he had sort of a weird reaction to Molly Ringwald dating Anthony Michael Hall which mm-hmm. seemed borderline weird. Yeah, well I mean I, I think most dudes that get into like this role, a director making films, there's some degree of narcissism that usually comes along with that. Sure, yeah. Cameron was also offered to or at least potentially considered for Jim Carrey, John Cusack, Tom Cruise, Michael J. Fox. Emilio Estevez also supposedly turned it down. I can't really picture Cruz in this part, or either part, really. He seems, like, too dominating. Yeah, it's hard to view him as the depressed, anxious dude. Yeah, and logically, your mind would go, well, at this point, he seemed like a pretty big star. He would have to be Ferris. I actually think he's too weird and wired for that. Yeah. I think his attempts to be likable and speaking to camera would come off as creepy. And maybe more... <laughs> I know people say this anyway, but it feels like he would be almost more manipulative-seeming. Yeah. I could potentially see Cusack doing it. Michael J. Fox, I don't think, really makes sense. Molly Ringwald expressed interest in Sloan, but she says Hughes told her the part wasn't big enough for her, sort of conflicting with some things that Hughes would say later about Mia Sarah just being better for the part. I do think it would have been strange for her to play this part, Sloane would have definitely needed to talk more in the first half of the movie. Yeah. It's almost like she barely speaks until the movie's almost over. And then she starts having a normal amount of lines. It's not an incredibly strong character. I mean, I love Sloane. 
What's not to love? Sloane's like the ideal yeah. high school girlfriend. Right. That's she what barely I... talks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but she's so. I mean, that is what I always thought like a girlfriend was when I was like in high school. I was like, oh yeah, I can't wait to have a girlfriend that you know it's just gonna like support me no matter what. Like always, and just be there and look, be pretty. willing to go on these like ridiculous adventures. <laughs> yeah, but then you're like, well, oh, it's because she's not really a real person. Mia Sarah was the closest to being age appropriate she was 18 at the time playing a 17 year old because she's supposed to be a junior i think matthew broderick was like 22 or 3 alan ruck was already 29 which is crazy yeah but as we talked about in the now deleted never to be released footage i do think that it makes sense to have cameron be played by an older actor so it balances out the massive personality that actor is like now married to the actress that was on the killing like she's like brad pitt's wife and who alan ruck yeah why did you say that actor i don't know (laughs) isn't he not a human being well (laughs) you don't know alan ruck i i I guess succession yeah speed uh okay are we listing his credits (laughs) yes (laughs) All right, let's just get into it. For me, Ferris Bueller is the perfect blend of aspiration, as I've already said, but also nostalgia, which I've also already said, because it exists in a world that feels very real, yet when you examine it really closely, it it doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't quite add up. And that's sort of how memory works in a way, especially your memory of exciting or Big time events, they sort of get exaggerated and changed a little bit as the years go by. And I think Ferris, the character, was like a huge influence on not only real life high schoolers who would all aspire to be him and fail because no one can quite be that cool and that well liked. That beloved. Yeah. But also characters. Zach Morris, which I, I point out, I think, later in the notes and unquestionably parker lewis can't lose and things like that where it's like this is the cool guy talking to camera outsmarting everyone but not being a dick because people still like him that's right getting the girl i will say fooling adults i mean i know this will we'll get a lot of mileage out of this but the genie character the ferris sister you do 100 percent by you're like i know why she is the way she is because it would be unbearable <laughs> To be around this dude all the time, who just get, he gets away with everything. Everyone loves him. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a lot to say about Jennifer Grey and Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yep, mostly positive. Oh yeah, really big fan. <laughs> it's the first warm, nice day of the year. The weather report underneath the opening credits is talking about the temperature being in the upper seventies. Obviously, the girls in the area are going to be wearing their dresses. The winter clothes are being put in the closet. The sun is shining. It's a time of excitement. Certainly. Everything's great. Everything feels alive again. It's very exhilarating when you're still young. Yeah. You barely notice it once you start getting older. That's true. <laughs> Everything is the same. That's right. Well, you know, when you stay within the four walls of your apartment. <laughs> Not even opening the curtains That's every right. day. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to feel like there are seasons. <laughs> We're in suburban Chicago. This is Hughes land, Hughes territory, the suburban dream, the suburban paradise. In the midst of 
high school senior Ferris Bueller's elaborate fake illness routine so he can stay home from school. And that's where we open. Ferris? Tom! What's the matter? Oh, it's Ferris. What? What's wrong? What's wrong? For Christ's sake, look at him, honey. Ferris? He doesn't have a fever, but he says his stomach hurts and he's seeing spots. What's the matter, Ferris? Papa? Honey, feel his hands. They're cold and clammy. Mm. I'm fine. I get up. No. 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 I have a test today. No. I have to take it. I, I want to go to a good college so I can have a fruitful life. Honey, you're not going to school like this now. Oh, fine. What's this? What's his problem? He doesn't feel well. Yeah, right. Dry that one out. You can fertilize the lawn. Jeannie? Is that you? Jeannie? I can't see that far. Jeannie? Jeannie, I... Bite the big one, Junior. Thank you, Jeannie. You get to school. Wait, you're letting him stay home? I can't believe this. If I was bleeding out my eyes, you guys would make me go to school. This is so unfair. Jeannie, please don't be upset with me. You have your health. Be thankful. Oh. Mm. oh. That's it. I want out of this family. I'm okay. <clears throat> I'll just sleep. Maybe I'll have an aspirin around noon. Now listen, I'm showing some houses to that that family from Vermont today, so I'll be in the area now. My office will know just where I am if you need me, okay? Okay. okay. I'll check on you too, pal. It's, it's nice to know that I have such love and caring parents. You're both very special people. Mm -hmm. you, you get better, pumpkin. Okay, pumpkin. I'll be home at six sharp. If you need anything, call. <laughs> we love you, sweetie. I love you too. And me, 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 me. Call if you need us. Yes, he's he's called off nine times. He's an old master at this, you know. He's done it nine times just this year, but it seems like he's had a lot of practice. He knows what to do, what not to sure. do. I don't think nine times for a, a school year is that crazy. Well, semester. Okay, yeah, that's right. So We had like a whole debate yeah. about this before, but we decided that was probably a half a year. Yeah, I think is so. Is what they're saying? Probably. I, I got a report card every nine weeks all through school from like... Yeah first grade through if it was nine times in nine grade. weeks and you managed to pull off once a week that's pretty yeah, good yeah that's why we thought it was half a year yeah, it was yeah. like once a week is crazy right although there probably are people that do that i think it is a little ridiculous that a high school senior is like begging his parents to stay home from school i know because at that point crazy it to is me. just like they would just be like yeah who cares yeah i mean senior year is like so lax and i was watching days and confused last night and it's like so the same thing you're just walking around yeah. Not, you know, not going to classes. Like, no one cares. <laughs> yeah, I do have fond memories of, especially the last year of high school, but even, like, 11th grade was pretty easy at a certain point. Oh, yeah. It just becomes, like, your hangout, your social scene. That's right. 
I guess if you're Ferris, your whole life is a social scene and it can get exhausting. But that is sort of the one nitpick I would have with this premise of the movie is he seems so cool that he wouldn't really want to skip school. Yeah. Believe it or not. Well, it feels like it would be exhilarating for him to go to school. Yeah. You're missing out on your adoration from your fans. (laughs) Yeah, got to put in the time. His parents are played by... Cindy Pickett and Lyman Ward, who actually got married for a while in real life after meeting on this film. Oh, wow. Had a couple kids and got divorced. Older couple getting it going. Yeah. Wow, they met on this movie and got together and then had kids after that. The dad seems like pretty old. A little older, yeah. Yeah, a little older. I mean, he's still alive now. Oh, good for him. Okay, yeah. (laughs) People just looked older. Yeah, he was probably younger than I am now. We're laughing, and yet I'm not 100% sure that that isn't true. (laughs) Ferris's younger sister, Jeannie, played by Jennifer Grey, does not buy it. While his parents buy it completely, Jeannie knows Ferris is full of shit. Now, watching this movie as an older guy now, my attention is definitely drawn to Jeannie in a way that it wasn't as a younger guy. I can understand Younger me, of course, obsessed with Sloane. Still think Sloane's the best. She's just an well, angel. Jeannie's a firecracker, for sure. And before anyone freaks out, Jennifer Grey was already like 26 years old. <laughs> I know that she's playing younger than Ferris, but I actually think she's older than Matthew Broderick. I think Broderick was like 23. Yeah, that seems probably right. I think she was born in 1960. So, you know, if I happen to mention that she's attractive, then everyone relax. Calm down. <laughs> Put your pitchforks away. <laughs> I just really dig the whole look, that 80s look. That I like her got. attitude. That's what really oh, gets yeah. in for me. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always fun in movies. I don't know. It might be hard to deal with in real life. I guess it just well, depends. Well, because it's, it's nonstop, but she has her whole like turn at the end. Yeah, you, you just know? fantasize about like being Charlie thing. Sheen. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> being that guy. He's able to kind of uh, melt her icy heart. <laughs> You have to, like, choose your words carefully. (laughs) I do think, though, that John Hughes definitely dug her aesthetic and tried to recreate it in Uncle Buck with Tia. Unquestionably. That that crunchy... That's right. I don't know how long you call that hair, but, like, semi-short hair. (laughs) Semi-short. Approaching shoulder length. Yeah, but, like, 80s curl crunchy. That's right. Bitchy. (laughs) (laughs) Bitchy hair. Or no, just, just okay. a bitchy person. <laughs> bitchy hair. She's got bitchy hair That's right. and a bitchy face. <laughs> no. You know, they're just similar characters, really. Yeah. Except he is the older sister in Uncle Buck. But but it's she, definitely like the knockoff genie. Kind of, Buck. yeah. Yeah. Come on. How dare you disparage <laughs> Tia in my presence? <laughs> what did you think about Ferris's bedroom? I mean, it's the coolest room in the world it's like what you want it's what you aspire it's got the your room to be that's it's got right the computer in 1986 yeah a lot of people playing synth <laughs> i mean a lot of windows 80s. yeah a cr- like his whole corner of his room was just window 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 win- it's like who has windows like that in their bedroom as a teenager that's crazy yeah i do think part of that is just how bright it is around him whereas like once we when we meet cameron for the first time it's yeah. a much different 
view into that bedroom while also nice. Obviously, we're not dealing with poor people here. No. I mean, this is... Yeah, I mean, Shermer must have a pretty good... Yeah, I think Hughes was filming this almost simultaneously with The Breakfast Club, and there was some talk of having the same principal, the guy from... What's his name? Paul Gleason? Yeah. From I don't know. Uh, The Breakfast I don't know if Club. that's his name, but I'm, I hope it is. Instead of Jeffrey Jones. But I think the vibe of the two principles makes sense it would have been fun just to have the crossover but it's two completely different movies i mean the dude yeah from the breakfast club he seems like a despicable vile villain you know where <laughs> i don't know like... about despicable and vile <laughs> but he's like an asshole whereas he jeffrey certainly... jones is like a sitcom yeah yeah well foil. okay he's certainly more menacing in the breakfast Club. not in real life yeah Folks. no <laughs> Hey now. <laughs> the principal in Ferris Bueller is definitely more just like a clown. You're a clown. Throughout this film, Ferris Bueller breaks the fourth wall, talking to camera about his friends, the various situations the characters find themselves in, and also to give advice on various subjects to the audience, which I think is how people now interpret this as sort of like the Tao of Ferris Bueller, almost like a, as if people interpret that with like the Big Lebowski as well. You know, that kind of oh, a whole thing. Yeah, like, like a, a lifestyle guide. Yeah, even though when you actually examine the movie, sure, you can it's follow his simple. example. But in it's terms not of a him very actually, long Tao. Yeah, in terms of him actually like talking, there really isn't that much there. But I definitely think it's a Zach Morris inspiration. Just the coolest guy ever talking to camera. Yeah, dominating the world in a way. I mean, that's it fun. does some. Some of it does feel like Saved by the Bell plot. A little bit, but slightly more grounded in reality. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the hacking into they're the selling computer. spaghetti sauce <laughs> out of their high school or something like that. I mean, it's not insane. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's some stretching of believability, but would it be theoretically possible to hack into the mainframe? Like, maybe true. they didn't have like the security systems oh, that no. are in place now if you knew how to hack you could get into any yeah, like mainframe like hack into the government unbelievably cool robe i'll just say that for sure a lot of wardrobe changing it's like a lady gaga concert until there isn't but yeah, yeah at the beginning there's like a ton for some reason where he doesn't <laughs> even leave the house <laughs> well that's the thing when you talk about time passing i mean he does go out to lounge at the pool makes himself like a drink is he only supposed to be out at the pool for like five minutes well, you could say that it, he's telling his parents he's sick at like 6.30. Okay. And then it's like by 7 o'clock, everyone's out of the house and he's starting his whole spiel. All right. But even still, yeah, the time would be just dripping off the clock at this point. You're right. Ferris asks, how could I be expected to handle school on a day like this? And we get gratuitous blue sky shots. Oh, yeah. Everything looks great. It's his ninth sick day of the semester. Some downside to Ferris Bueller's life. He doesn't have a car. Instead, he got the computer. It's the one thing. Yeah, it seems to be the one hang-up. That's weird. You would think he could st- sell a lot of the stuff in his room and have <laughs> enough for a car. Hughes was obsessed with the Beatles. That comes through with Ferris. Mentions of John Lennon. We'll get the That's right. twist yeah. and shout later. I do love early in the movie, it cuts to class, and we see Ben Stein as the economics teacher. And I, this, giving a real economics lecture. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, I feel like, the most famous part of this movie in terms of people know this quote, yeah. even if they've never seen this. Like, people right. just do this. 
which is kind of weird. I don't really know why. It's the monotone voice. It's the name. Yeah. It's the re- it, repetition it, 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 of it's, just like not accepting, like he's just not there and moving on. It's it, kind of like the go-to thing if someone is like not getting an answer on something. Yeah. They're just Bueller. Well, sometimes things just enter the lexicon. Uh, yeah, that that did happen here. Yeah. Adams here. Adam Lee here. Adamowski. Adamson here. Adler here. Anderson. Anderson here. Bueller. 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 Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. But it, it's such a great contrast between the freedom that Ferris is experiencing and then the, just this oh, yeah. horrifyingly boring class with those kids like looking up at him. Just the dead eyes, like almost disbelief from some of them that this is happening. <laughs> How is this our teacher? <laughs> you see Scott Coffey, Christy Swanson. She's the one that says that there was some rumor at 31 Flavors. Or oh, yeah, yeah. Was that something separate from Baskin Robbins or is that just like the same thing? I, I would think it's the same thing. Is that just, or maybe they're just saying 31 flavors because they don't want to say the No, brand. because I, I it's been called that in other stuff too. Okay. Yeah, I've heard I don't that, know. but I've never heard anything actually called that in my life, just in like TV and movies. Nor have I. <laughs> Cameron is also staying home from school, quote unquote legitimately sick although not really he's more of a hypochondriac who just believes he's sick and are are we supposed to take it that ferris just knows that cameron was gonna yes call off too right yes i believe it okay cameron of course is the relatable character of the duo much more closer to our hearts i think uh yeah i think this first scene is like if i were to text you and say hey, are we recording the podcast later or something? Like, this is what I picture is going <laughs> on here. In bed. Just, like, just like in darkness. Like <laughs> Sometimes you, it is. Your reaction to the text, you're just like, oh. Because that's kind of Cameron's reaction to <laughs> Ferris calling him. He'll keep texting me. He'll keep texting me. <laughs> All right, just, we'll record. We'll it. record. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like kind of the other way around. Yeah. Well, no, we probably just like trade off on yeah. who's more amped up to record this thing. That's true. I, I you do have <laughs> never a good, at the same time. No, no, yeah, we cannot get on the same page because it is just like every time I get excited about the show, you're just like, let's not do this anymore. <laughs> let's just end the show yeah, permanently, yeah. please. Let's put everyone out of their misery. <laughs> Mostly us. Dean of Students Edward R. Rooney suspects Ferris is a repeat truant and commits to catching him. So, okay. Pretty simple setup. You yeah. have Ferris skipping school, pretending to be sick, and then you have an overeager truant officer here, dean of students. Principal Rooney, way too. I don't really think he's is he a principal or, or are principal? they the same thing? I don't know. Dean but, of students is what okay. it's referred to. Yeah, but either way, way too invested in this. Right. So brings me to my point. He talks to Ferris's mom like 10 minutes into the movie to that, confirm that he's sick. This should be the last part that's that the, he's in the movie. It's the end. Yep. 
could this movie not accomplish the same thing it's trying to accomplish without having the stakes of the Rooney situation? It would only be like 45 minutes. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't have the race home at the end. That's like half the movie. Yeah. It's the Rooney stuff. Right. I definitely think for like a comedic foil to just get over on and over yeah, on, yeah. it's sort of funny. I definitely think this part coming up is very funny when Cameron for calls. For sure. For sure. I, I, I like the out. stuff at the school still. I think that's part of it, though, is yeah. you have to have Ferris outsmarting adults. And his parents seem very likable. So just having him like lie to his parents at the beginning of the movie is not really getting over on anybody. You want him to right. get over on a douchebag, and That's true. Rooney is that guy. Yeah, well, he's getting over on his parents too. Which yeah, but you're not as invested in that. That's really. true. Yeah, because you don't. Spend Although there's like of time multiple with brushes with the dad. Right, but that's not like a. He's not made a fool of though. No, no. Well, he's not a fool. <laughs> he just has Ferris's underage girlfriend blow him a kiss, and he just doesn't even know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> For as scummy and icky as Jeffrey Jones might be in real life, I do think he's actually pretty hilarious in these phone scenes, the one with Ferris's mom and then later with Cameron. He's like screaming, Grace, Grace! Like, yeah, the way well, he screams Grace the second time is so funny. Right, right. The secretary in a small but memorable role. Edie McClurg. Yeah, I mean, actually, in a lot of the John Hughes movies, like the smaller like yeah. people have like great appearances in in small roles. Oh yeah, he definitely knew how to find like funny Chicago people right. to put in these movies. And Edie McClurg is hilarious in this. Of course, she has the iconic line of listing all of the groups of people, which I think is just an insane oh, yeah. list. She's like the Bloods, the Sluts, <laughs> the Wastoids. The <laughs> they all think he's a righteous dude. That's right. <laughs> I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. Well, with your bad knee, Ed, you shouldn't throw anybody. It's true. What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Uh-huh. Last thing I need at this point in my career is 1,500 Ferris Bueller disciples running around these halls. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. Well, makes you look like an ass is what he does, Ed. Thank you, Grace. I think you're wrong. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. That is why I have got to catch him this time, to show these kids that the example he sets is a first-class ticket to nowhere. Oh, Ed, you sounded like Dirty Harry just then. Really? Uh-huh. And this is where Ferris hacks the computer and changes his absences from <laughs> nine to two right in front of him, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I know. Imagine being part of a group considered the sluts. <laughs> I was yeah, considered. I <laughs> but imagine caring about some student missing time if you were like a principal or a dean of students or i mean it has to happen all the time it has to be the easiest job in the world if you just let it be exactly yeah <laughs> if you just don't care about yeah if you just happening. check out completely right <laughs> cameron then calls the school pretending to be mr peterson the father of ferris's girlfriend sloan peterson so they can get her out of class for the day 
on the pretext of her grandmother's supposed demise. Yeah, he finds himself really uh, getting into the role, I'd say. You're an asshole. He gets a little carried away with it. It's a truly hilarious scene. This is not imitated as much as the Bueller Bueller scene, but I think a lot of people have imitated the Mr. Peterson voice. That voice, yeah. Of course, Ferris calls at the same time while Cameron's on the phone so that it proves that he's not talking to Ferris for some reason. Rooney is unaware that it could be someone else pretending. You know, he it just completely blows his mind. So then he said all this crazy stuff, yeah. including, well, we'll let Sloan out as soon as you produce a body. <laughs> <laughs> we need a corpse. Oh, Rooney is just a complete dolt. <laughs> That's why I would probably never want to go into this stuff, like to be a teacher or a principal, because you're expected to care about this stuff. Yeah. I could never, like get it up to be like oh god they're they want to skip school on a nice day i would just be like who cares pay the consequences with your grade right well i guess the whole idea is if it's unexcused then like it counts against you and if it's excused then like it can't yeah or some bullshit like anybody actually all this time trying to like make sure that it goes down on paper as unexcused yeah well, it, I was just going to say, in college, if it was raining, I skipped class. If it was snowing, I skipped class. And if it was really nice, I skipped class. <laughs> there's only like a handful like, of days that like felt like class worthy. A narrow range of temperature. Yeah. Like between like 50 and 55. <laughs> well, at least the first it's nice overcast, day. you know? Yeah. Dead grandmother? Yes, that's what Mr. Peterson said. I had Florence Sparrow notify Sloan. Poor little lamb. Who's this girl going out with? It's so hard to tell these days. I do see her with Ferris Bueller quite a little bit. Would you get me Mr. Peterson's daytime number, please? Sure. Ed Rooney's office. This is George Peterson. Oh, uh, please hold. How do you know it's Mr. Peterson? Do you still want his daytime number? Ed Rooney. Ed, this is George Peterson. How are you today, sir? Well, we've had a bit of bad luck this morning, as you may have heard. Yeah, I heard, and I'm all broken up. Boy, what a blow. Tough morning, and uh, we've got a lot of family business to take care of, so if you wouldn't mind excusing Sloan, I'd uh, appreciate it. Well, uh, sure. Yo, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you uh, you, you just produce a corpse, and uh, I'll release Sloan. I want to see this dead grandmother firsthand. Ed. It's all right, Grace. It's Ferris Bueller, a little twerp. I'm going to set a trap and let him fall right into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ed, I'm, I'm sorry. Did... You wanted to see a body? Yeah, that's right. Just uh, roll her old bones on over here and I'll dig up your daughter. You know that school <laughs> policy. Oh? Uh, was this your mother? Uh, no, my wife's mother. Ed Rooney's office. Hi, this is Ferris Bueller. Can I speak to Mr. Rooney, please? Thank you. Uh, hold. I'll tell you what, dipshit. You don't like my policies, you can just come on down here and smooch my big old white butt. Ed! Pucker up, buttercup. What? Ferris Bueller's online, too. 
Hey, Mr. Rooney, how you doing? Listen, uh, I'm sorry to disturb you at work, but I'm not feeling very well today. And I was wondering if it might be possible for my sister to bring home any assignments for my classes that I might need. Have a nice day. Peterson? Um, <coughs> uh, no, I, I, I think I owe you an apology, sir. Well, I should say you do. I, uh, I, I, I... Well, I think you should be sorry, for Christ's sake. A family member dies, and you insult me. What the hell is the matter with you, anyway? Uh, 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 well, uh, I, I, I really don't know, sir. I mean, I, I, I didn't think I was talking to you. I thought I was talking to somebody else. You know, sir, that I would never deliberately insult you like that. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how embarrassed I am. What? Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. What? Asshole! Uh, you're absolutely right, sir. You've hit the nail right in the head. Find out where she is. This isn't over yet, Buster. Do you read me? Uh, loud and clear, Mr. Peterson. Call me sir, goddammit. Yes, 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 sir, yes, sir. That's better. Well, you just mind your P's and Q's, Buster, and remember who you're dealing with. Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Now, I'm, I'm a little scared, because what, what if he recognizes my voice? Possible. You're doing great. Yeah. She's in sweet. Rooney? Oh, oh. Rooney, calm down. Oh, uh, just about the. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, just a, a little uh, office difficulty, sir. Rooney, I don't have all day to bark at you, so I'm going to make this short and sweet. I want my daughter out in front of the school in 10 minutes by herself. I don't want anybody. What? It's too suspicious. He'll think something's up. Cover it. You. Talk. Come on. Three or six. Talk. Rooney! Rooney! Yes, yes. Listen here, pay attention. I changed my mind. I want you out in front of the school with her. I'd like to have a few words with you, by God. On second thought, we don't have time to talk right now. We'll get together soon and we'll have lunch. Ow! Best. What the hell is wrong with you? Wait! Wait! Where's your brain? Why'd you kick Where's me? Where's your brain? Why'd you kick me? Where's your brain? I asked you first. How can we pick up Sloan if Rooney is there with her? I said for her to be there alone and you freaked. Cameron and Ferris get into a little bit of a tiff, though, when Cameron sort of blows it with Rooney by saying, I want you out in front of the school because I'd like to give you a piece of my mind, not realizing that then Rooney would be out there when they come pick up Sloan. Right. So they get into it a little bit. It's only worth pointing out, though, because it really seems to hurt Cameron's feelings when Ferris gets upset. Like, he's so desperate to please Ferris at all times. Just like everyone else. Yeah. But it's more personal with Cameron. For I mean, sure. He, he, he might spiral at any moment. And the, Cameron is the only character in the whole movie that Ferris actually needs something from, which is a car. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this definitely felt, like, relatable to high school experiences that I had. A lot of, like, third wheel oh, definitely. situations where either my friend was the third wheel or I was. Yeah. Or one of us would have a car, but then be lugging around 
the friend and the girlfriend like different situations that just pop up in high school yeah for me the the cameron thing was definitely relatable because it i was always just like not wanting to be involved in like something that was going to end up being a scene (laughs) and inevitably my friends would talk me into doing it and then it would end up being a scene and i'm like i knew this was going to happen i didn't want to do this to further the ruse with the school, Ferris pressures Cameron into taking Cameron's father's prize, 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California Spider, to pick up Sloan in. So I think this is as good a time as any to talk about Cameron's house and the car, the famous car of the movie. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about wealth, uh, clearly on display here. Okay, so let's talk about the house first. The modernist house of Cameron Fry is located in Highland Park, Illinois. Known as the Ben Rose House, it was designed by architects A. James Speyer, who designed the main building in 1954, and David Hayde, who designed the pavilion in 1974. It was once owned by photographer Ben Rose, who had a car collection in the pavilion, much like Cameron's dad. Hughes stated that they were able to use the house because producer Ned Tannen knew the owner because they were both Ferrari collectors. Oh, yeah. Pretty common thing to collect. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) The car was a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California Spider. Insert shots were of a real one. Wide shots were of reproductions. Only 100 real ones were ever made. Oh, wow. At the time of the filming, one of them would have been worth around $350,000. Now, in modern times, it has become one of the most expensive cars ever sold with one selling in auction close to $20 million. Holy hell. Yeah, completely insane. It does look, I mean, I'm like as far from a car person as you can be, but it does seem pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, and I do think that it's funny to have Ferris sort of comment on the type of person who would own one and thus not be the yeah. same type of person who deserves to drive one I do feel and enjoy like one. From this house in the car, you are supposed to get the sense that Cameron is like next level wealth. Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, this house seems out of place, like from the suburbs where we see Ferris live. Yeah, it definitely has like its own little plot of land, like in the woods. Yeah, definitely. Like it's probably down like a driveway off of something. I could see it being tucked away though in a suburban area. Sure. It's not going to be like on a normal like straight street. A not a cul-de-sac. No, you're like curled around like a hillside in the woods or something that's right you know. another iconic thing in ferris bueller's day off is the gordy howe jersey that cameron wears that's true it's a red wings jersey detroit is the rival of chicago you would think he maybe be wearing a chicago blackhawks jersey hughes did this because he was born in michigan actually and although he lived most of his life in chicago and would become a blackhawks fan he was always partial to gordy howe gotcha and was a fan. This was a little bit of a tribute. I, I was always taking it that it's just part of Cameron's plight. Right. Being the fan uh, yeah, of like a rival. Yeah, it fits with the character. Okay, yeah. He's either the type of dude that would do that to be different, or we don't know his whole backstory, but yeah, he's like a fan of the Red Wings for some reason, and it just like doesn't fit in. That's right. And people like give him shit about it all the time. <laughs> Nothing can be enjoyed ever. <laughs> Ferris wants to take the ferrari out cameron of course is terrified doesn't want to his dad keeps track of the miles it's like a whole thing but ferris just starts driving it out the little pavilion door there 
And Cameron doesn't really stop him, which will come up later. Yeah. He eventually just sort of gives in, even though you would think that if it was as dire as Cameron made it out to be, that he would be like throwing himself in front of the car. Definitely. I mean, it gives me anxiety. When we get to kind of the climactic scene with Cameron, my anxiety is through the roof. I'm just like, please, somebody stop this from happening. (laughs) (laughs) They go to pick up Sloan. Ferris is wearing a big trench coat and sunglasses. So we do have another wardrobe change here. Well, that could be just putting that over whatever he was wearing. Well, I thought he was wearing like that suit. Well, he's a trench coat on though, so I don't know. Yeah, that's true. It's completely covered. But yeah, I do appreciate the idea that Rooney wouldn't be able to tell that something was weird, especially when Sloane runs up to him and starts making out with him. (laughs) (laughs) And all Rooney can say is. So that's how it is in that family. Uh, yeah. Just sort of disgusted. <laughs> Either you know it's not her dad and you get pissed and you like confront the situation, or you're way more horrified if you actually believe it's her dad. <laughs> you're not like making some little joke. <laughs> this is like something that could be happening. <laughs> this man is just open mouth kissing his daughter in front of the school dean. <laughs> the license plate is NR. V-O-U-S. Nervous. Yeah. Some of the other license plates in the film, V-C-T-N for Vacation, T-B-C for The Breakfast Club, other Hughes movies. I think the station wagon that Ferris's mom drives is is the vacation license plate. Gotcha. Some Easter eggs there. Cameron freaks out as Ferris drives the three of them into the city instead of taking the car home. It does seem dangerous. I mean, at the very least, this car is going to get, like, dirty. Yeah. It's just so reckless and crazy that it's almost hard to even comprehend how big of a deal this is. Because at no point in my four years of high school would I have ever been around something this valuable. Yeah, right. Let alone in a position to fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So it's really. I can't even really relate to it on any level. Yeah. It'd be like if they let me drive a spaceship. <laughs> I can tell you I, I definitely never would have taken my dad's Ford Taurus. <laughs> I do remember I had a class where the teacher was like so checked out that I just like invented a field trip that I had to go on for this like other program that I was in. And okay. so then like me and my girlfriend just like left in her friend's car to go have sex <laughs> during wow. school. But what did you have to like tell the teacher that you weren't going to be in class or something? Yeah. Okay. I'm I was like, oh, I have trip. to go to the, on this field trip, and he was just like, he was like drinking during class, basically. He had like oh, a, wow. what a, a mug legend. of liquor. Okay. It's like Matthew Broderick's character in Election. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They leave the car with parking attendants in a garage, who then promptly take the car <laughs> out for a joyride. Which is sort of like a recurring joke throughout it. Like they play the yeah. Star Wars theme while they're the soundtrack is actually the air. kind of jarring, and just the fact that music from Star Wars is in it. Yeah, and then you have the Smith song, and then always oh, so weird when a Beatles song shows up in something because I'm not really expecting. I always thought that licensing their music was kind of a tough thing. Yeah, I think it is now. I don't know what the situation was then. Yeah, and the fact that it's a cover, a cover. and all that stuff. Who knows what was what the deal was. But yeah, the soundtrack is very interesting because it was definitely new and exciting to weave in Star Wars and then like the I Dream of Genie song right, and all that yeah. stuff. That was like cool and hip and hadn't really been done before. And that's something like Tarantino does. 
where he just takes music from other things. Yeah, exactly. And he just takes puts like it scores, into it. like scores from other movies. Yeah, sometimes yeah. scores, sometimes like little bits of like a theme song or right. whatever, just different little things. But yeah, that was definitely something that probably a lot of people hadn't seen before that time period. Of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the theme from Ferris Bueller, which I think you said is not really a song. <laughs> it's like boom. <laughs> what is that called like big time or something like that or am i making that up (laughs) i don't even know well we'll get to the smith's cover it's a cover yeah that's right we'll get to that later because that's a whole thing too in that art gallery scene the trio explores the city sears tower the chicago mercantile exchange for some reason and this is stuff that would just be wasting time, and the time would just be falling off the clock, and they wouldn't really have time to do all the fun stuff like go You're to the You're burning Cubs a game. lot of time just getting from location to location. Let's go to the Mercantile Exchange. That's right, yeah. Yeah, go- how long are they supposed to stay at this Cubs game? Well, they're not even at the Cubs game, because first they have to go to Shea Louis and oh, steal right. Abe Froman's reservation. Yeah. Which, okay, so now you're thinking, what, don't they say the time, like, was his reservation supposed to be at, like, 12 o'clock? Or- yeah. Something like it, that. It's like noon. So somehow yeah. they've they've got there by noon, and they're going to get out of there probably for like a 1 o'clock Cubs game. Yeah. Because it can't be 3 o'clock Cubs game. There's no way. A lot of uh, American Psycho vibes at this restaurant. <laughs> yeah, they're like pulling out business cards and comparing <laughs> them. <laughs> what is that? Bone. <laughs> Just starts like sweating. Like so horrified. <laughs> I do love and appreciate Sloane's willingness to just buy in. I mean, she is the perfect girlfriend. She is idealized, as you pointed out. Yes, like real people are probably not this one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. And I get that. Sure. And this is a fantasy, and it is told from Ferris's perspective exclusively. Although I don't think like Sloane is any. There's anything negative that like a, a critic or somebody could like point out about her character. It's just that we don't really ever know very much about her. Right. Really. Because the the movie is basically about the relationship dynamic between Ferris and Cameron. Absolutely. And, I mean, you can make the argument that the movie is actually about Cameron, even though oh, yeah, yeah. it's Ferris's story. He's the one that has the big change. Ferris is just helping him get there. Right. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, you're right. The character development all belongs to Cameron, but Ferris is the main character and the spark. Yeah, the catalyst. I can't really say that Cameron's the main character because there's so much of the movie that focuses on Ferris's sister. Oh, definitely. The pursuit of Ferris by Rooney. Cameron's not even mentioned by Rooney. That's right. There's so much Doesn't that revolves care. around Again, Ferris. How many days has Cameron missed? It feels like potentially a lot. Yeah, I knew people like him in high school that's that missed like so much time. Oh yeah. And they weren't like cutting class. It's like they just were either sickly or a hypochondriac or something. Who knows what was going on? That's right. Is there anything else we can say about Shay Louis and that situation? They just outwit another adult. Yeah. I with another really phone that. bit. <laughs> a lot just... of this stuff you wouldn't really be able to pull off as easily with cell phones. It's actually like funnier the way they do it with like using the phone. <laughs> There's no call ID. They can just sort of thinking about that time period like driving and again like no gps or anything like trying to drive through a big city well they're not driving anymore that's true they left the uh car in the garage well finding the parking garage 
<laughs> finding a parking garage is just too much for you. Yeah, well, I, but Forget then even it. when you get get out on foot, I'd be like, how do we get back to this garage? That's true. They do take well, some take, taxis yeah. and stuff. There was like a the whole deleted sequence with Ferris like cashing in like a college bond or something for money, and that's why he's got like that wad of cash in the one scene. Okay, yeah. It feels they, like there might be a lot of deleted scenes. They trimmed out some of the restaurant stuff too, because later he references eating pancreas, which is like you're like what? But that's like, like I said, part American of... Psycho. <laughs> Not a human pancreas. <laughs> when Ferris talks to Cameron, we we learn a little bit about Cameron's home life. He describes it as very beautiful but very cold, and that you can't touch anything, and that this day out will be good for him. In other words. Ferris is taking this altruistic stance of, like, I'm helping Cameron, and that's why this is happening. Not, like, I want to have fun <laughs> and do what I want. Yeah. There's a greater purpose here. Not, I needed Cameron for the car so that I could have a big fun day with my girlfriend. Well, maybe, you know, he's accomplishing multiple things simultaneously. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because I do think that Ferris never quite strays into that sociopathic Zach Morris territory or something like that. You sort of always buy the best intentions from him. A little bit. I think, you know. You don't? Mostly. I, I think I do. I think there's there does feel like a, a little bit of, I got to manipulate Cameron to get what I want here. Yeah, but I think that's normal okay. for people. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's not pretend like people are good. No, inherently. no, come on. <laughs> There's a string of near misses with Ferris's dad, starting with outside of Chez Louis, where somehow that's where he's going to go eat. I was thinking about this. Like, this just being, like, your work day. Like, I, okay, I'm driving from the suburbs. I, I go to this office building for a few hours. Then I go to the lunch at this super nice restaurant. Yeah. Then you're, like, going back to the office for a couple hours. I was like, all right, I got to head home. It just seems like a different life. Isn't he, like, an ad exec? Isn't it, like, Mad Men? Yeah, that seems right. He's something like that. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Seems like it was a fun working situation. Rooney has now left the school in pursuit of busting Ferris. Meanwhile, the kids are at the Cubs game. No way they could fit all of this in during one day. (laughs) It's the perfect Chicago fantasy because now they're at Wrigley. There's a near miss with Rooney standing in that like pizza place with the TV. That's right. And on the TV, Ferris is catching a foul ball, but he's like looking away. (laughs) <laughs> and then he turns back and the camera's panned away. Yes. Rooney is sort of low-key the funniest stuff, though, when he confronts that girl that he thinks is Ferris. Oh, yeah. Who's sort of got like a Pat Benatar look. That's right. And it's so clearly is not Matthew Broderick from behind that you're just like, dude, what? I what's... mean, by the way, is Rooney taking sick time at this point? No, this is considered part of his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the one that's really... Like, fucking over the school, because he's getting paid. That's right, yeah. (laughs) While the trio is at the baseball game, Rooney prowls the Bueller house, attempting to prove Ferris's truancy, getting into several awkward comedic situations. He's taking it a bit far at this point. It's Uh, completely insane. The pursuit? Okay, but this is criminal now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, first he rings the doorbell, and Ferris, for some reason, has gone to the trouble of making a pre-recorded message that plays, rather than just not answering, which I think would be so much easier. It's not a person's right to get a response if they ring a doorbell. So, <laughs> at that point, he's almost like expecting somebody like Rooney or somebody to be taking it to like the next level, which would then, like you said, do something illegal, like right. breaking in. It's like... Why even bother with the message? What's that going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Rooney, though, is so close he can almost taste it because 
when he rings the doorbell again and it goes through that whole sequence of recorded messages that he was talking to the first time. Oh, yeah. He realizes that it's a tape, and yet he's still so far away because he somehow thinks that he's going to be able to find Ferris and then prove that he wasn't sick. I don't know. It just seems like his I mom mean, has already confirmed it. I don't know what else is going to happen here. That's the here. thing. Even if he was faking it, and if you eventually confront the parents about this, wouldn't they be like, well, this is worse. What you did is worse than him faking being sick. Jeannie is beside herself that everyone at school loves her brother so much <laughs> and fully believes in him to the point of rallying around him. And it starts this Save Ferris campaign that oh, that's just right. yeah. almost within minutes and hours is this popping is like up all over the city. Pre-GoFundMe. People just like... <laughs> Walking Grassroots. around town, yeah, like holding out like an empty soda can. I love like, that it, it makes the newspaper, it gets painted on the oh, water yeah. tower thing, and it's like all within one day. <laughs> People just going nuts. Like, we gotta save Ferris. Just a complete meltdown. So Jeannie skips class to go and confront him. This leads to a showdown between her and Rooney back at the house as Rooney's trespassing and acting insane. Ironically, at this stage of the movie... They both kind of want the same thing and theoretically could team up, but yeah, how it could, doesn't go down I, like that. <laughs> I just feel like if you're a genie, you're going to be repelled by a Rooney. I feel like almost everyone would be. <laughs> yeah. I can't really imagine Rooney's married. He seems like a madman. <laughs> Some deranged lunatic. He seems like... Like uh, Captain Ahab. Yeah. I mean, Jeannie's got some attitude, sure, but she's still a normal person. Rooney is like, I mean, he's off his rock. He's not even human. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Art Institute of Chicago, we have the three of the main characters here, Cameron, Sloan, Ferris, taking in some art. This scene originally was last it was after the parade. Okay. And the test audiences hated this scene. Really? Because they were like, what is the point of this? It does slow down the pace. So they changed the music. It was actually hilarious because it was supposed to be an original score by none other than Robert Smith of The Cure. Okay. And it gets replaced by a cover of a Smith song. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> so the rivalry between Morrissey and Robert Smith taking center stage here... But the music change helped, but it was also the placement of the scene that helped tremendously. By inserting it before the parade, audiences then responded more positively I to feel it. It's like a cool down. It's a cool down moment. And honestly, the way that Cameron connects with the one painting mm -hmm. and having Ferris and Sloan kiss in front of that like blue painting in that blue white. Right. This is like some of my favorite it feels work fairly from Hughes as a director. Yeah. Because he's able to convey things without writing, which was his strongest thing. For sure. Without writing dialogue, I mean. Obviously, he wrote the scenes, but you know what I mean. Like He's able to convey so much about Cameron by looking at a painting and just the placement of the different paintings. And I think it's pretty cool. You see like Nighthawks at the diner, which is like a really cool and famous painting. Oh, yeah. There's some cool shit in this scene. I think it's really well done. There's no dialogue in it. Right. Which is odd because... When I first rewatched it for this podcast, it had been a few years since I probably sat down and watched this thing front to back. 
I would say, and I thought that they did talk in the art museum. Yeah, and I was kind of taken aback by that. I'd say it's my second favorite museum scene after Dress to Kill. Yes, it's very reminiscent of that. <laughs> Cameron's like leaving a glove behind, <laughs> being followed out. That's right. Yeah, by John Candy. <laughs> We should mention that there was a Ferris Bueller TV show at one point. Oh, that's right. Jennifer Aniston was on it. Yeah, I think she played Jeannie. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy. Two Jens. Yeah. It's crazy to think there was a time when Jennifer Grey was like a way bigger star than Jennifer Aniston. Although she's like way older, so I mean, it's not that crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> that's like saying, it's like, oh, there was a time when Marilyn Monroe was a way bigger star than Margot Rob- Robbie. It's like, well, yeah it's not that crazy actually yeah <laughs> just but, different times i mean jennifer aniston would go on to be like a bigger star than jennifer gray could have ever been just because of like i think your word choice there was maybe a bit harsh could have ever been as if she just didn't have that no no i more just mean because of how things were jennifer aniston coming through the 90s at the time that she was you're when, saying like, it was easier to remain a star in the 90s i think the height of stardom reach new peaks well that's probably true but the longevity is what's impressive really for sure (laughs) i don't know why we're on this tangent now (laughs) i mean jennifer aniston is like a goddess okay i mean (laughs) i think jennifer gray is too we talked about her during the red oaks episode that's right which i'm sure a lot of listeners remember Remember, yeah Yeah. red oaks the popular amazon series (laughs) that no one knows about watch it watch everyone's got time watch it i think there's a revisionist history on it now that it was actually great. I don't think it's revisionist. I think it got good reviews. I'm it's just, just kidding. I don't know. You mean a revisionist history that it's popular? Yeah. How that's dare what you I imply that it wasn't great <laughs> at any point? After the art museum, they're sitting in parade traffic next to Ferris's dad. This is just bizarre. Yeah, it brings up a lot of questions. So Questions at first, because you're like, okay, this is supposedly like this girl that's very important to Ferris, and you've never seen her? Right. So what happens is they look over, they're sitting in traffic next to Ferris's dad in two different cabs, and Ferris and Cameron duck down, but Sloan doesn't. I don't know how there's enough room for them to get on the floor of this cab and look up at her. How big is the backseat of this cab, by the way? Oh, I know. Just enormous. <laughs> Cameron's like six foot ten, <laughs> just <laughs> down on the floor, sitting Indian style. Which, basically. by the way, is that like multiple times pull this move where he's on the floor of a car. <laughs> So then Ferris's dad looks over and just sees Sloane, who's wearing sunglasses, which seems to be like the universal disguise in the movie. Like, if you just throw those sunglasses on, people just, like, don't know who you are. I get it, yeah. But, yeah, then she, like, what does she, like, kind of blow a kiss or something a right. little bit? And he's sort which of, the like... the whole point of this is to get him to stop looking over there? Right? I don't know. To f- I guess she's just trying to be funny or something. Intimidate him? Because I'm intimidated. <laughs> Ferris is like, what's he doing? And she's like, he's licking the glass and making obscene gestures. <laughs> and he's like, what? He like believes it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I knew it. What were those gestures? I don't know. But it does bring the question. He's like, how has he never met Sloane? If he has met her, why does he not recognize her? That is definitely my first thought. As I get more space from it, I do start to be like, you know what? I buy that Ferris is just the type of dude that's just like, you know what? You don't need to meet my family. Yeah, that's like me. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's no point. Ferris's dad is holding up that newspaper, which already has an article about community rallies around local teen or whatever that's supposed to be him. <laughs> but it also has across the bottom a headline that says, 
because it's like telling you to go to page whatever for sports. It's like baseball, shame, cocaine, which oh, I always yeah. think is funny because that's actually directly tied to Pittsburgh because that's where the cocaine trials of the '80s in baseball took place. Okay, it's like a huge scandal in Major League Baseball at the time involving a lot of high-profile players. Seemingly can never quite get away from Major League Baseball and scandals. Oh, yeah. This was the original performance-enhancing drug because basically players were taking amphetamines to perform better. Right, right. (laughs) I just think it's funny because it's tied in with the local area there. And I guess we do see a little bit of the dark 80s coming through. (laughs) Cameron remains unconvinced that this day has been worth the aggravation. So Ferris attempts to cheer him up. I don't really know what so great has happened for Cameron, though. Just hanging out. Okay. By joining a parade float during the Von Steuben Day Parade. Bet you didn't know that that's what it was called. I did not. Which is weird because Von Steuben Day doesn't usually take place in the spring, and I think it usually takes place on a weekend. No knowledge on Von Steuben Day, so I cannot. <laughs> you don't know about Von Steuben Day? No, not a lot. Of, not a lot of history there for me. I just clicked on the uh, Wikipedia link. <laughs> it's <laughs> a celebration of some famous German Day. American or something. He spontaneously starts lip syncing Wayne Newton's cover of Donka Shane, followed by a rendition of the Beatles' "Twist and Shout." People fucking love this. The crowd becomes totally unglued, <laughs> just loses their damn People mind. People able to just do like synchronized dancing. Imagine like a crowd getting this excited for some like dude lip syncing. Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> see it happening. I'll tell you that. I've been at a lot of parades where people are just sort of like looking away. <laughs> this reminds me of the time we were in that bar that was closed and oh, yeah. people really started singing along to Zombie by the Cranberries. Well, that's true. Was that like was like four people standing with a group of people, and we all just started like shaking our butts together. <laughs> zombie, <laughs> zombie. <laughs> Usually, I think we would just be singing along to the jukebox for "Alone" by Heart or something. That's right. <laughs> that was a memorable moment. But yeah, some of the people dancing though were not supposed to be in the movie. They were just people that were around, and John Hughes wanted to film them because they were like reacting. Okay. Like dancing and stuff. So it really worked. A little bit. Yeah. I do love those girls that on the float with Ferris just like pulling their dresses I up know, as like part of their dancing. It. Yeah, it well, was crazy. You know. Ferris has a very disarming presence, especially with the ladies. Yeah, the crowd is just going completely insane. Cameron and Sloan, this is where Sloan starts to become like a real character because she's actually like having a conversation with Cameron. <laughs> and he's like, Who are you talking to? Like looking around. <laughs> It seems like their dynamic is very strange because when she first yeah. gets in the car at the school and he's laying across the back seat, she takes the time to be like, "How are you? Yeah, are you okay down there? Whatever." Well, I mean, in I was... a way that Ferris sort of just takes for granted. We're moving on to the next thing, right? I don't give a shit. <laughs> Fuck Cameron, stupid piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Always whining. I mean, you have to think that some thoughts have crossed Cameron's mind when it comes to Sloan. <laughs> well, Cameron probably originally was like, "Oh, we're going to pick Sloan up." He's like, "This could get wild. Let's let's start drinking. Who uh, knows what could happen?" Yeah, <laughs> maybe some sort of a three-way scenario in the pool house. That's definitely on the table. But no, it's like we got to go to a fucking baseball game in an art museum. Yeah, <laughs> and eat pancreas. Back at the house, Jeannie's terrified of this man breaking in that she doesn't really know is Rooney. 
they come around the corner at the same time, and she kicks him twice in the face. Yeah, it's like friggin' Anderson Silva. I was thinking it's sort of like her from Dirty Dancing. It's like she's getting That's that true, leg kick yeah. going. Yeah, Jennifer like, Grey's big breakout would come a year later. With Rooney Dirty like Dancing. picks her up like Swayze like <laughs> over the head, <laughs> twirling around yeah. in the kitchen. <laughs> she knocks him out cold and then runs upstairs. This whole situation is also very hilarious. I do think like a lot of the best stuff in terms of comedy do not involve Ferris at all. Does it, this is this not also play like it doesn't make sense? Like just like Sloan with Ferris's dad, Jeannie doesn't recognize Rooney. Well, you could, I, I could buy it except for the scene with Jeannie and Grace, the yeah, secretary, right. because it seems, seems like, like she's G- spent a lot of time at that office. Yeah, <laughs> complaining <laughs> about things. <laughs> she's like. Oh, Mrs. Mueller, who who bo- what did she say who bothered you today or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Or, or what what is it today? Yeah, basically implying today? that Jeannie's like a constant presence, always causing trouble or being annoying, I guess. Right. But I guess just the context of seeing someone in your house in that flash moment. Sure. It's definitely a shock. It might not well, have and he, well, by the way, he is an intruder. <laughs> Even yeah. if it's someone you recognize, it's like, what the hell are you Plus doing Plus, he's here? been beat up. He had the altercations with the dog, the garden hose, the mud. I don't know. She just might not, you know, it's so weird that he would be there. That He's it, got this, like, bloodthirst to make sure Ferris's absence is unexcused. <laughs> he's kind of like Wesley in Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. Where he's going around his office, and he's like... Got all of his like principal trophies. He's like, and he says to Ferris, "The only thing missing is your ass." <laughs> it was a long way for that joke, right. but we got yeah. there. <laughs> it's good; it paid off. <laughs> Just to get that line out. No, but what I was gonna say was a lot of the funniest stuff involves Rooney and Jeannie, and doesn't really even involve Cameron Ferris or Sloane. I think Cameron, the one time that he calls. Rooney it would be, would be among the funniest scenes. Sure. They seem like it's definitely like a lighthearted movie, but it seems almost less of a comedy and more of like They're a coming of fun. age yeah. fun thing. Right. Whereas the comedic stuff is brought to the movie by these heightened characters that seem like way over the top. Definitely. Like Rooney and Jeannie and Edie McClurg and people like that. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, Bueller, Bueller. Like the people that don't quite seem real. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, because if it was just Ferris and crew getting it over on the adults that they interact with, I don't think there's a lot of laughs here. Look, this this is not a phony phone call. There is an intruder, male, Caucasian, possibly armed, certainly weird, in my kitchen. My my name's Bueller. Look, it's real nice that you hope my brother's feeling better, but I'm in danger, okay? I am very cute, I am very alone, and I'm very protective of my body. I do not want it violated or killed, all right? I need help! Speaking in English? Dickhead! As she phones the police, Rooney regains consciousness and leaves, unknowingly leaving his wallet behind. Jeannie on the phone with the police is also hilarious. That's right. Yeah. I'm very cute. <laughs> I'm very alone, and I'm very protective of my body. <laughs> and then when she gets off the phone, she's like, dick, head. <laughs> Her rage is oh, very funny to me. Yes, I, I do find that to be an endlessly attractive quality. <laughs> Just the slamming of the phone together and yelling dick, head in oh, like two yeah. distinct syllables. Yeah. 
Like every phone call I get off of. <laughs> every phone call I get off of with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> when Rooney goes outside, his car's being towed. I love that he tries to put his keys in it, but the car drives away with the keys in it. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. he's trying to open the door, and then he just ends – it makes it so much worse because now he doesn't even have his house keys. Like right, his keys right. just get taken with the car. I- I'm now just trying to picture like us trying to talk on the phone to each other. Like we do this show all the time, oh, can hang horrible. out. But I, I, I can't even imagine. It. It's like if, if I tried to call you and you saw my name like pop up as just calling you, just like throw your phone off your balcony. <laughs> like, what is he trying to do? Yeah, I know. I feel that way about when anybody calls. Yeah, though. yeah. Just a nightmare. Like, what's wrong with you? And then you just text back, "What's up?" Yeah. Like, I've what been are doing you that for years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to wait like a few minutes. <laughs> To make it seem like you didn't just take it ignore. Hey, just saw you called. (laughs) What's up? The phone isn't even done ringing yet. (laughs) Hey, just saw you call. Our heroes get the Ferrari from the parking garage, but on the way home, they discover many more miles on the odometer. I think Cameron notices it, right? I well, mean, no, it's Ferris. He's like, how many miles were on this oh, that's before? Right. And yeah. it's like a couple hundred instead of the 15 or whatever it would have taken to get to the city. And it sends Cameron just down a spiral. This causes Cameron to become catatonic for a while. <laughs> Which is something that happens. You know, you just go into a catatonic state for a brief period of time. So they take him to the lake, which I'm assuming is what, Lake Michigan? Probably. And there's a very telling Ferris monologue here where he talks about what's going to happen after graduation. This may very well be for real. I think Cameron might have blown a microchip or two. He's always been a little keyed up. All I wanted to do was give him a good day. We're going to graduate in a couple of months and then... We'll have the summer. He'll work and I'll work. We'll see each other at night and on the weekends. Then he'll go to one school and I'll go to another. Basically, that will be it. Sloane's his bigger problem. She still has another year of high school. How do I deal with that? I was serious when I said I would marry her. I would. Cameron? Cam? Can you hear me? Cameron? Blink if you understand me. Cameron has never been in love. At least nobody's ever been in love with him. If things don't change for him, he's gonna marry the first girl he lays. And she's gonna treat him like shit. Because she will have given him what he has built up in his mind as the end-all be-all of human existence. She won't respect him, because you can't respect somebody who kisses your ass. Just doesn't work. Ferris? We better try something else. This isn't working. It's actually a very real side to an unreal character. There's a fear of the future, definitely separation anxiety from both Cameron and Sloane, who has another year of high school. I think it's kind of an interesting point in the movie to make it seem like, you know what, Ferris is a little bit more like you than you thought. Oh, yeah. He has these fears about what's going to happen. He actually likes Sloane. She's not just some chick. He's like, I don't know what to do. 
she's going to stay in high school and I got to go off to college. Yeah. Me and Cameron, my best friend, we're not going to the same colleges. And I, I do think that this resonates with people because there is so much truth to it. It is never going to be the same. Everyone yeah. went through this at some where you had like some close group and we're reaching this period of change in our lives. And yeah, it's never going to go back to this. It, it will never be the same. Well, today it's so much easier because everyone has their own cell phone. Everyone's connected to the internet. Definitely easier to stay connected. Social media, stuff like that. It doesn't really feel like you're far away. You know what I mean? Yeah, In the right. same way. Whereas like you had to like call from a landline and all this shit. And if you moved, it's like you'd have to like make sure that this person got your new number. It's oh, like yeah. a whole thing. Now you can move and keep the same cell phone number. When someone moved, like when we were growing up, it was like they never existed. It was yeah. like they went into the witness protection program. So it would be hard to stay. You'd have right, to right. really put an effort. Like if Cameron and Ferris were to stay friends, you have to put the effort in. It's not something like as easy as just following each other on different social medias and being able to text all the time it just didn't work like that right and so yeah there was the fear was much more real i think we talked about that in contrasting the two seasons of wazi autobugs I, I was thinking the same thing all i'm thinking about huge, is summer camp and like when when you leave at the end <laughs> huge change between 1997 and 2017 the huge change in how that feels probably absolutely People are like, could they just not bring up Bug Juice anymore? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Get over it. <laughs> what do you want us to do? It's a great show. <laughs> They're like, you didn't even go to summer camp. Shut up. <laughs> but that's why we like it. Don't you get it? So they go to hang out at this pool. This is Ferris's pool, right? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't really tell what where I, at they least were. I assume so because he's there in the beginning of the right. movie. Right. Yeah. I always got like a Stone Age vibe. Oh you know yeah, how he's they go like to that jumping pool. over the fence. He's like dunking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're fighting over who's gonna like make out with Sloan. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Schnapster with Cameron. <laughs> what oh, do man. they call that? What do they? Call? I got a half a joint of Lumbo. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Skankweed. <laughs> oh, man. People are loving this. Like, all right, they're hitting all their favorites. Bug Juice, the Stone Age. But that would be like what the real skip day would be like for 17, 18 year olds. Oh, it would sure. be much more alcohol, weed definitely, definitely. based. It would not be this wholesome, which is why I think it's funny that A, Ferris has to lie to not go to school, and B, that like there's a villain in the movie that's so hell bent on busting him when they seem like the most straight laced high schoolers Not doing ever. Anything like nefarious. He does imply that him and Sloane have fucked though, because he's like he's coming at that advice for Cameron when Cameron's catatonic and he's talking about like That's right. Oh, Cameron's gonna just get married to the first girl that has sex with him because This is a very cynical view, I feel like. Well, I yeah. think it's pretty accurate. There's a lot of for truth Cameron. to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's never had a girlfriend, so it's it's gonna be like such a big deal whenever, you know, someone finally does come along and chances are they're gonna be somebody that controls him and treats him like shit. Well, I think we all end up with that. <laughs> Folks <laughs> We're out of time. Cameron falls into the pool and pretends to drown and Ferris has to jump in and rescue him. Not really sure what this is all about, but when <laughs> really? he pulls him out, he's yeah. not catatonic anymore, and he finally admits that he's not. And I was just like, even before the whole joke with are, are we really Sloan just... changing in front of him, I was like, why would they just believe? Yeah. I would just be like, dude, 
stop it. I, I was thinking to myself, which is what made me laugh, because you are just like, this is what you sit here and think while you're watching movies. Like, you're getting this into it. But, like, I'm like, they must just be entertaining him. They're not actually believing. For some this. reason, Sloan was just completely naked. I know. In front I, of him. I just, well, just so she could get this one over on him later and be like, like somehow that's against him. <laughs> Remember when you weren't catatonic and saw me completely nude? No, I don't think that was getting one over on him. I think the Im- implication is that she believed that he couldn't see her, and so she just felt comfortable changing in front of her boyfriend and someone who couldn't see her. I, I do believe that that's what's being said, but that's just so insane. I know, yeah. but that's why it's crazy that they just believe that he's catatonic right. based on hearing bad news. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> like what? Is he a character in a Tennessee Williams well, wouldn't play? Wouldn't you be doing the thing where we just, okay, let's just take him to the hospital and <laughs> leave him at the front door and drive off? Just push him out yeah. the door. <laughs> All right. Jeannie is placed under arrest for making a false police report. It's a bit extreme. I think so. I guess believe all women didn't really apply in 1986. <laughs> it was a different time. Like, she's yeah. like, Let's there's a man here who's trying to assault me. They're like, okay. And like, it was real. Yeah. She's waiting for her mother to come collect her from the police station, and she meets an interesting character played by Charlie Sheen. That's right. Playing himself, basically. I do yeah, like certainly. in the uh, interesting facts of the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, Charlie Sheen, to get into character, stayed up two days straight, whatever. <laughs> it was like, was that for the character or just, <laughs> just for fun. what was going on <laughs> at the time? What was going on and then going on for the next 30 years? He advises Jeannie to not worry so much, and he happens to know Ferris, which, of course, drives her insane. Yeah. You wear too much eye makeup. My sister wears too much. People think she's a whore. You don't want to talk about your problem? With you, are you serious? I'm serious. Blow yourself. All right. You want to know what's wrong? I know what's wrong. I want to hear you say it. In a nutshell, I hate my brother. How's that? That's cool. Did you blow him away or something? No, not yet. See, I went home to confirm that the shithead was ditching school, and when I was there, a guy broke into the house. I called the cops, and they picked me up for making a phony phone call. What do you care if your brother ditches school? Why should he get to ditch when everybody else has to go? You could ditch. Yeah, I'd get caught. So you're pissed off because he ditches and doesn't get caught, is that it? Basically. Basically. And your problem is you. Excuse me? Excuse you. You ought to spend a little more time dealing with yourself. A little less time worrying about what your brother does. That's just an opinion. Mm. What, are you a psychiatrist? No. Why don't you keep your opinions to yourself? Somebody you should talk to. If you say Ferris Bueller, you lose a testicle. Oh, you know him. I think originally... 
I don't know if this was just in the script phase or what, but there was this whole thing where there was going to be a backstory to this character and his life got so off the rails because he didn't uh, have the opportunity to have Ferris help him. Like him and Ferris used to be friends. This is like the motivating factor to help Cameron, like to not have what happened to this guy happen to Cameron. I'm glad they got rid of it. It doesn't even really make sense, but it's yeah. just like this whole like other connection to this character I, or I mean, something. I mean, you can see that fitting into this world, but I really don't think it's needed. Right. Back at Cameron's house, Ferris jacks up the car and runs it in reverse to, quote, rewind the odometer. Apparently thinking life is like an episode of fucking Looney Tunes or something. <laughs> Why would he think that I this know, would work? This is insane. <laughs> Cameron finally admits it was the best day of his life, probably because he saw Sloan nude. <laughs> just chalking it up to that. You know, that whole time I was just thinking things over. I was like, I was like meditating. Then I sort of watched myself from inside. I realized it was ridiculous. <laughs> Being afraid. Worrying about everything. Wishing I was dead. All that shit. I'm tired of it. It's the best day of my life. I'm gonna miss you guys next year. Cameron? Can I ask you a question? Did you see me change out of my clothes by the jacuzzi? Did you? <laughs> you saw me? <laughs> I thought you were catatonic. That's <laughs> well, okay. I'm not embarrassed. I better check on the car. I mean, he had never had a girlfriend before. It's not like he had the internet. It's probably pretty limited. Oh, I agree. This would be a big deal. When the odometer thing fails, Cameron finally snaps, letting out all of his anger against his overbearing father, which is something we didn't really talk much about yet because it's just sort of referenced a few times by the characters. But I guess the idea is that he's so terrified of his family or his parents. I think his parents are supposed to be divorced, maybe. I, it's hard to really tell what the scenario is, but it's also hard to tell exactly what his father has done to make this relationship so bad other yeah, than being distant. I, I guess the thing that I I take away from it is that Cameron's just always like second fiddle to like all the nice things that his dad wants to buy. Like he's just not that invested in Cameron's life. He's like he cares way more about like this car and other expensive cool things, which I can't blame him. If I had a kid, it's just like I'd constantly just be like, you know, cleaning my Blu-ray collection and not paying attention to the kid. <laughs> and telling him that he's not allowed to touch them. <laughs> I can tell how many times they've been played. <laughs> Don't touch them. Yeah, Cameron just has a general unhappy existence and he's sort of lashing out now. I do think that the idea is at the very least it's like a loveless home. Yeah. He kicks the car, causes the jack to fail, 
and then the car races in reverse through the giant window and into the ravine below. Sort of a shocking moment. Now, when he's kicking the car, Sloan like makes a move forward, like she's like, "I have to stop him," and Ferris <laughs> stops her. Like that's a good like it's they're a working good thing. it out. Let them work it out. <laughs> Sloane's the only one living in reality. Like, I oh, like this is insane. Like, we need to stop this. Something bad is about to like, happen. You can explain the miles, or even if you're just like, we we went for a joy ride, but everything's fine. Sure, he's gonna be mad. This is like, <laughs> I mean, you might as well be. You're about to be excommunicated from the house or killed. Yeah. <laughs> I always like the part where the car crashes down in the ravine. I think about that part from Groundhog Day. Oh yeah, with Chris Elliott right, right. <laughs> looking down, like, well. It might be okay, and then the, the car just explodes. <laughs> well, probably not now. <laughs> the car doesn't explode in this movie, though. Ferris offers to take the blame, but Cameron declines the offer. And then it should just cut to, like... Did you ever see those SNL sketches where they like kind of do like a fake insane clown posse with like Sudeikis and... Bobby Moynihan, yeah, and it would be like that. it would always cut down, cut to like R.I.P. Ass Dan. Oh no, <laughs> the one guy's name was Ass okay. Dan. Would just be like R.I.P. Ass Dan. It's just like as soon as Cameron's like, I have to do this. I have to take the blame. It should just cut to like R.I.P. Cameron, <laughs> <Really? laughs> just instantly murdered. Cameron, it's my fault. I'll take the heat for it. We'll wait for your father to come home, and when he gets here, I'll tell him that I did it. He hates me anyway. No, I'll take it. No, I'll take it. No, no, you don't want this much heat. I want it. If I didn't want it, I wouldn't have let you take the car out this morning. I made you take the car this morning. I could have stopped you. It is possible to stop Mr. Ferris Bueller, you know. No, I want it, I'm gonna take it. That's it. When Morris comes home, he and I will just have a little chat. It's cool. No, it's going to be good. Thanks anyway. And that's it, though. They leave Cameron. They're like, all right, well, you take the heat for it. We never really find out how that goes, which is why I can't really commit to the idea that this movie's fully about Cameron. It just sort of abruptly ends his story, and then the movie keeps going for a while. I agree with that. It's just a big piece of it is about Cameron. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm not pushing back against you, though. Yeah. I just think that is a common thing that people say. And, of course, there are like a lot of fan theories like Ferris Bueller doesn't really exist. He's Cameron's Tyler Durden, that whole thing. We are aware of that kind of stuff. We just chose not to really delve into it. Yeah. I we're, think it's kind of silly because We're just staring clearly, back at you with a blank stare. That's not what Hughes was intending, so it's not really worth no, I, I think, going I mean, down that I, road. I think it's kind of funny to kick that conversation around, but it's I, I don't think that at all. So I don't You start getting dangerously close to room two thirty seven yeah, territory. Well it's basically one of those things like if no one ever said that and we said that as like a joke on this show, that would be funny to me. Like right, that, the idea so you're taking it as funny. almost like stealing someone else's riff, right? Like, I, cause, because clearly it's not real. I don't think that it, the movie is that. So you're just like yeah. perpetuating some joke, like Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you know? <laughs> right. Or Gremlins is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. 
<laughs> Mrs. Bueller arrives at the police station, surprised and annoyed, only to become even more infuriated to find Jeannie making out with the delinquent. So despite her best efforts, it looks like it will be Jeannie in trouble and not Ferris. <laughs> because she got arrested Which for making you, a fake police report. You knew it was always going to land there. Right, but at the same time, you'd be like, Mom, there really was a guy in the house. I know, that is insane. Yeah. And she just sort of recovers from this because I, you'd think she'd be like more traumatized. Yeah. We didn't really spend too much time talking about the Charlie Sheen scene. I, I mean, I do find that to be quite an enjoyable interaction. And I like that Jeannie kind of, you know, lets her hair down. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely like got that wall up at first, especially when he's like drugs. Yeah. <laughs> also but, very close to reality. But yeah, she just needed somebody to pay attention to her. Which, of course, is insane because she's super cute and Do you tons of people would be paying attention to her. At all understand the, well, my name's Jeannie, but mostly people call me Shauna. No, I don't get that at all. I don't know what that is. So odd. We probably sound like idiots to somebody out there who knows exactly what that means. But... Well, it almost seems like the way they say it, as if it's like referenced earlier in the movie, but this is the only real talk Yeah, I don't that. know. I don't know what they're talking about. Ferris gets Sloan home, but realizes he's up against the clock and has to like kiss her and run away. I do love that part, and there's almost no reason for it, and this is what makes movies great to me, is when they just have little things in there. I love that little moment where she yells, I love you, and he's like, I love you too, and he's like, cop's defense. Oh, yeah. And then she just goes, he's going to marry me. Right. And you're just like, okay. It's just like this great little extra you're like crying (laughs) (laughs) choked up (laughs) it's such a beautiful little moment because yes in reality it's like they're probably not gonna get married but that's how you feel at that age when you're like in love for the first time you sort of start to believe like you're trying to like figure out how you're gonna make this happen and get married (laughs) and it's like a whole thing and it feels very believable and sweet I don't know. It, it just works for me. To yeah, have there's that definitely a like a certain amount of relationships in a row where you think you're going to get married. And then after that, you just spend as long as you can trying not to get married. You, start, you have those relationships where you're like, this better not end up. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a disaster. I had a great time today. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. Do you, do you think Cameron's going to be okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. For the first time in his life. He's going to be just fine. You knew what you were doing when you woke up this morning, didn't you? Me? Races home, nearly getting hit by Jeannie, who's driving with their mother. She speeds off, trying to get home to expose his lie. So it becomes this race where Ferris is running through yards and backways. Right. And 
while their mother is freaking out, Jeannie's driving the station wagon like All through stop the place. signs. Yeah. <laughs> Police are chasing. <laughs> it's completely insane. Yeah. He's running next to his dad at one point, but then he like slows down and drops behind the car, and then his dad like the least observant person in the world. <laughs> yeah, which I can relate to. A clueless idiot. Yeah. When I'm doing anything, I'm just like staring off completely in my head, unaware of the world around me. <laughs> Ferris gets home first, but lo and behold, Rooney is there waiting, confronting him at the back door. He has the key to the house that I guess is under the mat or something. Once again, trespassing. Busted. But out of nowhere, we get a face turn. That's right. Jeannie comes through the back door and saves the day. Because she's got Rooney's wallet. I mean, it's pretty much like the end of Jurassic Park when the T-Rex shows up and <laughs> saves everyone. Genie is the, the <laughs> That's right. yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex of this movie. <laughs> and Rooney's a raptor. <laughs> yeah. I have reamed about this. And this time, god damn you little bastard. I've got you right where I want you. Barris, we're home! So, how would you feel about another year of high school under my close, personal supervision? Hi. Thank God you're all right. You know, we've been worried sick about you. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Rooney, for driving him home. Now, I want you to go upstairs and get in bed. Uh. Scoot! (gasps) Can you imagine someone as sick as Ferris trying to walk home from the hospital? (laughs) Oh, kids. (laughs) By the way, Miss Drooney, You left your wallet on the kitchen floor. It's such a cool moment because other than Rooney, Jeannie's like the one holdout. That's right. And to have her finally just embrace it. You know what? Ferris is like this cool dude. He's a righteous dude. And she just gets on board. I guess the the threat is like, hey, we know you broke into the house. I have your wallet because you dropped it in here, right? And so back off. I'm going to expose you. Which she should because she did get arrested, basically. I guess maybe while she was at the police station, it dawned on her. Plus, does she find the wallet when she gets home? Mm, I can't remember that. Because I don't remember her picking the wallet up. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Folks... The week delay in recording this has really kind of like fucked up my rhythm. It's for taken this. a toll. <laughs> We're doing the best we can, all right? There's some more dog shenanigans, and Rooney's basically banished to have to ride the bus with those kids for some reason at 6 also o'clock in the evening. Yeah, doesn't make sense. I feel like that's something that got a lot of mileage on our last recording, and we've spent almost zero time on it now. I do like that the house is just full of flowers. If you oh, notice, yeah. like when the parents show up, there's just flowers everywhere. <laughs> it's just the opposite of Cameron's world, you know? It's the opposite of my world. People would be <laughs> yeah. like, good, I hope he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> when I skipped school, no one cared. 
Ferris beats his parents to his room. His mom feels his forehead, and it's sweaty and overheated from the run back to the house. And so they end up suggesting he should take tomorrow off as well. I'd be like, well, now I need to take a day where I just chill at the house. I would probably be like, I'd like to get back to school and see all my fans. <laughs> yeah, but just think of how big that return would be if you missed two yeah. days. People would be like beside themselves. That's true, yeah. I guess you'd probably be like, well, if I'm just going to take tomorrow off, I'll see if Sloane can take a sick day too. And just wh- why doesn't she just come over and hang out at the pool all day? That seems hang fine. Hang out in bed all day. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. <laughs> And the credit sequence is just Rooney riding the bus with these kids. I think they cut it from the regular movie because they knew it didn't make sense, but then they thought it was funny, so they wanted to just use it anyway for the credits. Okay, gotcha. And it ends finally at the end of the credits with Ferris telling everyone to go home. That's right. The movie's over. I think it's just a joyous piece of 80s cinema. It is fun. It's fun to watch. It doesn't age poorly at all. Sure technology updates and different things like that but the basic story and what happens in it i think is universal yeah i think ferris is like the idealized version of the american teenager and sloan is the idealized girlfriend and everyone has a cameron in their life it's cool it's weird but it's got a fun story i would say the message is pretty clear you know yeah i I think the big thing with hughes's movies is the spirit yeah definitely because when you think about The Breakfast Club, okay, that's pretty straightforward because it's just a detention. But there's crazy shit in that movie. Oh, like, definitely. They break the glass by yelling or whatever. And then Weird Science is like... Insane. Yeah, not in reality at all. Same with Uncle Buck, really. <laughs> <laughs> 16 Candles is probably close to Ferris anything, Bueller. Anything with John Candy in it, it just like can't be reality. Yeah. But yeah, I think his was mostly about like the vibe and the spirit of it and yeah. having some memorable lines and scenes and stuff. I don't know if like plotting a story was necessarily like what they were all about. Mm-hmm. Even when it built up to like a big ending moment like 16 Candles are Pretty in Pink or something, I think still it was more about the experience of living that life and a lot of times in the early films it was the experience of being a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And if The Breakfast Club is more of like the quote-unquote gritty, more emo side of it, then Ferris is the upside, the fun side. That's right. The best that it could be. And I think that's fun to experience, even if it's vicariously, even if it never really happened for you. Oh, yeah. It's still fun to imagine it Oh, could. I think everyone can relate to some version of it. You you were never going to reach these heights. Right, but it's fun. this is your best day. Yeah, yeah. This is your best day, whatever that was. Right. This is it on screen. I saw three movies in the theater in one day. That was it. <laughs> Those four that I sent you on that marquee from like 1987. <laughs> and I was like, imagine these movies were in the theater right now. That's How right. great that would be. Yeah. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Folks. We're reaching the end. Do you want to do a recommendation or? Um. Yeah, I can do one. All right, let's do recommendations. Okay, I, I will do. I, I want to say it was probably my favorite thing that I watched over the break. You know, the first break, not the one where we had to okay. stall because of technical difficulties. Shiva Baby. Do you know this? I've seen it on everybody's letterbox. Yeah. I don't really know what it is. I really liked it. It's written and directed by Emma Seligman or something. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know her, but uh, it was really good. I mean, it's funny. It, this whole thing of like anxiety is like a genre now. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? That's kind of. But you know, it's kind of this day in the life comedy dramedy thing. But the score is like almost like out of like an Ari Aster movie. Yeah, it, the score is like from like Hereditary. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know. I I thought it was super cool though. It, it's it's funny, well written and and well acted. Where can we find that? I rented it on Amazon. So you have to rent it as a thing. It's I not... believe so. It might be out there streaming on something for free now. but Okay. I don't really have a specific recommendation, but I did want to talk about a film I watched that features Chuck Sheen, who was in Ferris Bueller. Okay. Yeah. Pretty stacked cast. You have Ooh. Charlie Sheen, you have Laura Dern, and you have George Clooney. Okay. Little movie called Grizzly 2 I see. Revenge. Holy hell. So did you get this? No, it was on oh. Showtime and I watched it. All right. I mean the first thing I ever saw of this was that Dawn of the Discs Instagram post about it. This movie was a sequel to I believe the 1979 movie Grizzly, which is pretty terrible. It's like a jaws ripoff in the woods. I think it has its fans. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay. The bear looks pretty bad. You don't really get great shots of it, but it had a very iconic VHS cover for me when I would see it at like Giant Eagle Video yeah. when I was a kid. <laughs> right. It looked terrifying. An enormous bear up on its hind legs oh, like yeah. behind a woman at a campfire. I'm sure lots of people have seen It's kind of an iconic poster. That sounds familiar. Much better than the movie itself, yeah. which is pretty cheap. But this was a sequel that was started to be made in like 1982 or three. Aren't, uh, those th- aren't those three only in like one scene or something? They're only in the beginning okay. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's basically, I think, the strength of their names is what got it finished. The movie was abandoned. Oh yeah. It was never finished, never released, and it just came out this year, I believe. Although it might be 2020, and it's still only like 80 something minutes. It's insanely short. And it's only that long because they film stuff like modern footage to insert into the movie that so clearly does not match the rest of the footage because it looks modern. Right. It's completely insane. The story makes no sense. It builds towards a music festival for some reason with actual footage of this music festival from the 80s. I forget who the music acts are off the top of my head. It wasn't very memorable for me. But yeah, Laura Dern, George Clooney, and Charlie Sheen are like three teenagers, kind of quasi-teenagers. It's hard to tell how old they are. They're I mean, like obviously... John Hughes types teenagers? Obviously, Laura Dern is a teenager because oh, it's yeah. like pre-everything. Charlie Sheen was probably pretty young, too. It's hard to tell how old... George Clooney still kind of just look the same as like Facts of Life, George right. Clooney. You're like, <laughs> yeah. is he 25? Is he 35? Who right. knows? But... They go out camping, they get killed in the first scene, and I was like, when I was watching this on Showtime, I was just like, wait, that's it? <laughs> because their names are like at the yeah, top yeah, of right. the It's like, you think that they're the stars of this oh, thing. Yeah. Deborah Foreman is in it, who I like a lot, from Valley Girl and April Fool's Day and okay, yeah. stuff like that, but she's not even really in it that much. It's like hard to explain, like she's not even really in it that much. I can't really tell who the main characters are even supposed to be. It's a mess. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I just wanted to talk about it. I'm not recommending you watch it. Please don't. <laughs> Although if you want to, I think it's for free on Showtime still. But wow. oof. Okay. 
I just wanted to check it out. So I, I did too. I mean, I, that was when I saw the Dawn of the Discs post. I was like, oh man, I got to get this. But I did go read about it. That oh no, don't get it. Yeah, it's no, horrible. no. Well, as soon as I started reading about it, I was like, okay, never mind. The fact that those three were, I was like, oh, they're only in one scene. Yes. Yeah. Which I didn't know when I hit play on it. And the whole reason I watched Grizzly was to watch that. Because I was like going <laughs> to just watch Grizzly too. You're always that committed. I love it. Well, you know, I got to yeah. fill the day <laughs> with a couple of movies. That's right. yeah. So I was like, well, Grizzly's on Amazon, so I can watch Grizzly 2 on Showtime. Grizzly was significantly better because it was, even though it was dumb and cheap, it was at least a real movie. I mean, Grizzly 2 does not even feel like a real thing. Okay. It's just yeah. inexplicable. Well, I mean, they didn't finish it, so... Well, there's an ending, but I couldn't even tell you what happened because by the end, you're just so checked out. Oh, God. Yep. Anyway, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up. We're going to do a listener request next. Right now, we don't know how this episode turned out in terms of if we're going to be able to post it or not. Hopefully, everything went fine. I think we'll be okay. If it did and we're posting this as early as possible, then the plan right now is to record again very soon, and you'll probably get an additional episode during the week, later in the week, but you'll get that extra episode in there, and it will be a listener request. We have another listener request at the end of the month as well, before One Trashy Summer. And you know what? The listener requests keep flooding in. We have a couple more now planned for the summer. It's almost overwhelming. Yeah. So if you have yet to give us a listener request, you can hit us up on Twitter at GreatestPod. You can follow us there for any show-related tweets. Not that there's a ton of them. Uh, Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. You can request a sticker, all that stuff. We would love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, there was kind of a a spike in that for a while. It's kind of cooled off. Yeah, some people have the fucking balls to give us a one star. Yeah, well... You know, it's devi- shameful. Very divisive show, I'd say. <laughs> All they do is talk about which actresses they think are hot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, go fuck. Doesn't yourself. everybody? <laughs> Isn't that what everyone's thinking anyway? Come on, and follow us on Letterboxd, Zach nineteen eighty three, Matt Crosby. Mm-hmm. Listeners, we love you all. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking with us when we have to delay episodes and we don't know what we're doing. And clamoring for more when an episode doesn't drop. It's a real clown show over here with this podcasting situation. We don't know what we're doing. If something happens, like we don't really know what to do. We don't know anything about technology. Yeah. It's a miracle that we've even been able to do this many episodes, really. I don't know how we've done it. That is insane. We have microphones. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how have we done this stuff? I don't we know. We need a production assistant, but we don't really want another person around. Plus, we wouldn't be able to pay them. Or well, anything. yeah, but I'm sure at this point we've got enough clout that somebody wants to like <laughs> intern as our production assistant, our producer. <laughs> oh, God. We're pathetic. All right. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon, hopefully.
When you get into an elevator with a woman, press a higher number than her and then make a big deal about it. Push her in a lake. Be one of the tallest guys in the bar and brag about how long your butt crack is.